such a sweet, sweet fellowship, Lord. Lord, in a world of broken connections and relationships, Lord, we thank you for a uh, Lord, a gathering where people can come and join together in, in a sweet and holy relationship under the headship of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifices offered for us. Lord, help us to learn each day, Lord, how we may fulfill the directive to be living sacrifices which you declare to be holy and acceptable. And Father, we praise you this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak, Lord, beyond our understanding, Lord, into our spirits. Lord, that we might truly, truly be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin. It was wonderful. Thank you. Great time. Amen. Well, it's good to be here with all of you in the house of God. And uh, I extend the uh, first personal welcome to uh, Eugene Daniel. I understand he's here today. Is that right? Yeah, he's up in the balcony already. That's the, the little one that belongs to Daniel and Marilyn. And so we welcome Eugene Daniel to our place of worship today. Amen. Amen. Good to have all of you here. Uh, we thank God for for each of you. And um, this morning, I just want to take a pause and pray for those who uh, may um, may be connecting in some way beyond the building here through online streaming and otherwise. Father, we pray for those in need of miracles today. Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, for children who need miracles in their bodies. Father, we thank you that, Lord, whether these bodies are new or old, at times when they are afflicted, we can call upon the Lord who heals newborns, who who heals the, the seniors, the elderly, Lord God, and those at every stage of life. And so we pray there will be a great visitation in the homes and the establishments, Lord, where people are today that are not able to be here in body. Uh, But, Lord, we just thank you so much that the Holy Spirit of the living God is not limited by a place or a time, but you are able to be everywhere all the time and to do exceedingly beyond anything that we can believe for. And so, Father, we pray for those who are, Lord, dealing with cancers, those who, Lord, are struggling in body. And, Father, we pray that at this time today that there would just be the breath of God in those places where people need life and encouragement. And, Lord, we pray that they will receive that today in Jesus' name. And, Father, we thank you that there's no need uh, that is too great for you. And Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've had three babies uh, this week. I don't know if I can remember. I know I had a a note. I don't know. You know, the good thing about notes are that uh, they're the last thing you forget. 
And uh, so we want to welcome all of you who've had babies. We talk about Eugene Daniel and Bree and Matt have uh, a young uh, man, Maxwell. Is, uh, uh, so Bree and Matt have uh, Maxwell, and we also have uh, another Wetzel family, Ben Ben and Hannah have a little boy, and he needs your prayers. He's uh, uh, going to be uh, hospitalized for a season, and we believe the Lord will touch him. Do you know the name, anybody? Bentley, Bentley that's right. And so Bentley, Maxwell, and uh, Eugene. So, well, that's uh, all boys club this time. So uh, it's great, and we, we rejoice, and uh, it's great to... to, um, to be with them. It's good to see uh, Pastor Garrett here today. Welcome, Pastor Garrett. It's our great pleasure to have you with us this morning. Thank you. Amen. So, amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you uh, from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 9. And um, there's some uh, scripture texts here I want to uh, point out specifically. In verse 10, uh, the scripture says, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Verse 11, it says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But go and learn, in verse 13, what this means, I desire mercy and, uh, mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, this morning as we look at this, we talk about what Jesus uh, said about a number of different subjects. And the one I want to talk about today is what Jesus had to say about sin and sinners. And... Um, you know, you know, I want to preface everything that I'm about to say with this statement. Um, you know, it's God's true desire, and, and he truly wants mercy to triumph over judgment. You know, that's the heart of God, to see mercy triumph over judgment. Uh, he, you know, he didn't come to the, this earth to condemn it. He came to save it. You know, that's the desire of God, is to see people redeemed, uh, not condemned. You know, apart from God, we enter into condemnation, but when we come to the Lord and receive the grace and unmerited favor of God, we receive uh, mercy that triumphs over judgment. Jesus died so that it would triumph, and we can receive it uh, because he did do that. You know, today as we look at the scriptures in 2 Peter chapter 3, we are told in in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, uh, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come uh, to repentance. You know, it's not God's desire that any should die lost. It's God's desire that all should come to know the saving grace afforded to every person. Uh, there's not one person that is too bad that God cannot redeem. You know, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty tough statement if you really think about it because there's some bad characters out there. And uh, to think about how bad people are, uh, you know, to think that there's any depth of depravity that God cannot redeem, 
uh, really is not, it's not true. There's no depth of sin that God cannot reach and save a soul. You know, what sinners and what it's sin and sinners, what about them? What did Jesus have to say about them? And you know, the one thing I, I would uh, say today is that Jesus not only had uh, something to say about sin and sinners, but Jesus invested in sinners. He gave himself to sinners because if he didn't, you wouldn't be here, nor would I. Uh, you know, we're not here because we uh, have uh, earned it on our own, and we're not here because we just came from such a great family that sin somehow bypassed our household. We're here because we need grace, and all of us are only here by the grace of God. All of us. There's not one of us that is not in the family of God that's not here because of the grace of God. And so when we think about it, sin is a universal affliction of the heart and the mind and the spirit. And as a result of sin, sickness came into into the world and death came also as well as sin. And uh, when we think about sin, there's different words in the scripture that speak to what sin is, and you know, um, you know that certain words that refer to sin, and I'm not going into it all. Is Jeff here today? I don't want to get it wrong anyhow. If Jeff's sitting here somewhere. There are certain, uh, certain words that speak to the idea of sin in the, in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, the word pesha means defiance, rebellion, casting away of God's authority, lawlessness, disobedience, and you know, at the heart of it all, sin is rebellion. Uh, there's another word which means missing the mark. And, uh, you know, how many of us would be the first to say we've missed the mark? You know, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, all of us. Every single one, the preacher, uh, the board members, the, uh, you know, the, the only one probably that's not guilty is the church mouse. And uh, he somehow... Didn't fall into that lot. But, um, yes, but as we think about uh, iniquity, you know, there's another word which means perversion and deliberate twisting or distortion of God's word and will for selfish ends. So there's all so many different takes on sin. And in the original languages, there's so many different shades and interpretations of different aspects of sin. So sin is pretty pervasive. Uh, it reaches into the depth of a person's heart, and it, it is the place of, when, when a heart is corrupted, you know, everything else is corrupt. And, you know, the only way to escape that corruption of sin is through the blood of Christ. You know, we are all here because of the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that could remove the stain of sin in our lives. It's the only thing. There's no, no other remedy for it. And so when we look at uh, some, some of the uh, other words found in the New Testament, again, it means to miss the mark, to err. Um, it means to, uh, to sin, to be caught in a fault, to offend, uh, to trespass. Um, there, a, a, another word speaks to it being going astray, to deceive, to err, seduce, wander, to be out of the way. And, you know, so there, when we get the idea, it's an offense. It's e- either a deliberate transgression. It's a sin of omission. There's so many ways that it can happen. It can be, it can be premeditated sin. It can be uh, something that just happens as our old nature reaches up into the situation and we give it a place 
uh, to express itself in a given situation. But God loves sinners, and I thank him for it today. You know, the Apostle Paul recognized that he, in his life, as far as he was concerned, he was the chiefest of all sinners. You know, and it's easy to look at people and to, and to view them as being worse sinners. But the matter of that when you have a true sense of what God has extended to us, we realize that we, as far as it is concerned, are the worst sinners. You know, that way we can't look at others and say, well, I was better than he was. Or, you know, I didn't do what they did. You know, Paul came to the realization that uh, his sin was just as condemning as any other person's uh, collection of uh, sin. So when we think about sin, what sin is not, sin is not temptation. You know, of course, it's foolish to place ourselves deliberately in a place where we are going to be prone to temptation. You know, I've shared this before, and it sticks out in, in my mind. And, uh, you know, I used to, when I was in Waynesburg, I, I visited the hospital in, in uh, Washington uh, County. And every time I'd go, you had to drive past the Krispy Kreme donut uh, shop, you know. And I, and I just, for some reason, any time I got there, I always felt faint and I felt like I needed something. You know, you needed a sugar fix. And so I'd pull into that, uh, pull through and, uh, you know, it was always the same. No, no, no need for anything others, other. It was the, the uh, donut with the white cream and the chocolate on top. You know, that was good enough for me. Uh, and uh, so... But, you know, the only way I could break that was to go a different route, you know, and make it a little more difficult to, to go out of the way to get it. And so when we talk about temptation, if you consistently place yourself in a, in a position where you are know it's going to be a temptation, now that gets into the area of sin, right? But temptation in and of itself is not sinful, you know, sin is, is the devil's solicitation. It's his, he's trying to, Jesus was tempted, right, in Matthew chapter 4, and yet he was without sin. And so we know that Jesus had not sinned, and yet the devil hit him with some very serious tempta- uh, temptations. You know, so when we think of sin and we think of it as its, think of its connection to sickness and death, I want to say this as well. Not everyone who is sick is sick because of their personal sin. You know, somehow over the years we've seen abuses of that thought where people, you know, are told that you know, there's, there has to be a reason that you are sick and you must have done something wrong. And, uh, you know, that's, that is an abuse. That is not true. Now, granted, sin uh, was the, was the, you know, sickness came as a result of sin. You know, there would be no sickness on this earth if sin had not uh, first opened the door and the gateway for it to enter into the world. But, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we can bring people under great condemnation by suggesting to them that they are sick because of some sin in their life. You know, they, didn't they kind of do that to Job? You know, they his three friends, and like so many, uh, they did a good job until they opened their mouths. You know, when they sat silent, they couldn't get in trouble. But like human nature, the mouth likes to do a lot of this, right? 
And when we do a lot of this, the Bible tells us that sin isn't too far away. And so they begin to indict him for what they suspected his sin to be. And, um, and so when we look in the scriptures, Jesus in John chapter 9, it says, Now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth, and his, sin, and his uh, disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, uh, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So, you know, Jesus uh, cleared that up. You know, immediately they suspected because this man was blind, it had to be because he had sinned or his family had sinned. Now, let me say this. There, there are sins that are the direct result. I mean, there are sicknesses that are the direct result of our personal sin. You know, if, if you live a reckless life, and you place yourself in a world where you are, you are susceptible to, uh, you know, that will cause your body harm, you know, you have to look at it and say, okay, I recognize that my sin had a direct result, directly resulted in my illness. But that being said, it doesn't mean that God can't fix things. Aren't you glad for that, that God can't, not, he can redeem and he can heal? Aren't you glad that in the blood of Christ, in that atoning blood, that there is forgiveness of sin and, and the offer of healing and deliverance? And I'm glad for that. So, you know, even if you have a sickness, you've you suffered a sickness that resulted because of habits or things that weren't, you knew weren't of God, you're not, God has lifted the condemnation upon your life when you came to him. You know, uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to disturb anyone's theology unless it's wrong. Uh, but, you know, I don't believe that God, I, I don't believe that if, as a believer that I live under the curse any longer. No curse, none, zero, nada, nothing. I believe the blood of Christ has severed the authority of all false claims on my life. All of them. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Not just a little bit or not just in part, but he sets us free completely. So that being said, I mean, you can believe a lie and come, come under bondage to it, right? And there are people who need to be set free from that type of thinking. You know, but what I'm saying to you in reality, in the, through the blood of Christ, you are free from the guilt of sin. You are free from the, from the uh, 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 I don't know, from the lingering effects of that guilt. And we need to walk in that. And sometimes we just need to be encouraged to do so. You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The psalmist was... Uh, like all of us, born into sin, a sin nature. You know that we, we were born with a sin nature. And you say, well, how does that work for all of the innocents that are born? You know, I believe God makes a wonderful provision of grace that I, I can't stand here today and explain to you. But God is gracious and he's redeeming and he's kind. I believe if a child dies without being, you know, being baptized without, or any of that, I believe that God makes a provision for those children. 
Because we know that their, 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 the faces of their angels are always beholding the, uh, the, the, the image of God or the, the face of God. You know, I want to tell you, I don't, I don't believe that. I hear people say, well, my infant was not baptized, so they must, uh, they must you know, they, they're not going to make it. I want to tell you that that is, uh, uh, I, I, I want to say this as, uh, uh, in, as with this, the best rhetoric that fits, uh, it's hogwash. It's hogwash, you know, and so if you're wondering about that, you say, well, my child or my grandchild passed and didn't have the opportunity to be baptized. I want to tell you, uh, the Lord, he'll take care of your grandchild. He'll take care of your grandchild. But you know, we're born with a sin nature and there develops that time in a person's life when we start to become aware of right and wrong. And that, that, sit, that, that consciousness of right and wrong becomes apparent to us. And then, you know, have you ever noticed that gravity takes someone, you know, it's like when, when you have, we've had children and grandkids. And one of the first things that a child learns to say is, uh, no, when you don't want their first word to be no. Because they begin to realize that they have the power of choice at least some power, and they could express themselves. And so, as, and people say, what's the age of accountability? All I know is it's, a, it's the stage when in, in your heart and mind you know the difference of right and wrong, and you know the significance and the, and the cost of not accepting Christ as Savior and Lord. So, uh, but anyhow... You know, we, we think about sin. Jesus ate with sinners. He went home with sinners, you know. And uh, he was scandalized because he was, he was, he was uh, eating with people. He was hanging out with people who were not the most reputable of characters. You know, a tax collector was, it was as, it was as uh, bad a person in, in Jewish culture as anybody could be. Because Jews were uh, considered the uh, publicans or tax collectors to be sellouts. That they were traitors. They were conspirators with Rome. And, you know, they would, uh, they would collect the, the, the taxes that they were to collect and then they would add to it and receive for their own personal gain those things that would benefit them. And they would, you know, really, um, they would take advantage of the situation. And so, but Jesus, uh, you know, think about too, tax collectors were, were banned from serving in certain offices. They couldn't serve as a judge, you know. A lot of times they were excommunicated from synagogues and different things, social functions, because of the fact that, uh, of their, of their profession. You know, I excuse the expression, but, you know, they were considered to be scumbags. Dirt balls, you know, whatever. I don't even know what they're, they're, they're not terms we always use. But when you think about it, they weren't. They were dirty people, and Jesus was was uh, having he was having fellowship with these people. He was sitting down eating with these people. He went into their homes, and a lot. And in addition to that, Jesus was. Uh, he was eating with other types of people, people who uh, lived immoral lifestyles people who were considered unclean, 
socially, spiritually, and otherwise. Jesus came to their homes, and we talk about a house of healing. And I want to say this, too. This is a house of healing, and God wants your home to be a house of healing. He wants the house that you live in to be a house of healing. You know, where, because when you look in the scriptures, a lot of what happened during the time of Jesus' ministry and what happened during the, uh, the, the first century church was they met in homes. Jesus met with people in their homes. He, he, he fellowshiped, he ate with them, he came into their homes upon their request. And sometimes Jesus, as he did with Zacchaeus, invited himself. And so we think of, of, of Peter's, what was his mother-in-law? She was serving the people. Didn't something happen there and they had to have a miracle? Somebody had to be raised up from the dead? You know, there are things that happen in the households. And, and God wants something to happen in our households that will make it distinguished. They want your home, God wants your home to be a light in your community. A place where healing truly does rest upon that household. Healthy things come out of your household. Things that go in broke come out made whole because of the presence of God in your home. How many know that our homes are really a sacred trust? It's not absolute ownership because when you and I die or the Lord comes back, someone else is going to be, you know, and if you leave your furniture, they may even be laying back in your recliner. But somebody else is going to be in the house that people often refer to as their forever house. How many know there's no forever houses here? We're only here for a little while, and in fact, you know, we're only here like a mist or a vapor that appears just for a short time, and then it's gone. But Jesus ministered in homes. Uh, The church was advanced through what took place in the homes. You know, really, I think the church is meant to be a place where all of those who are being ministered to in the homes of the believers here are come collectively on Sundays. Oh, we're having such good prayer times in our homes with people. We're having such good opportunities with those who don't know Christ that at Sunday it's just natural that we've worshiped together, prayed together, ate together, did all these things. They just want to come to church. They can't be away from us. Really, this should be an extension of what goes on in your home. Not the other way around. You say, we wait for this to impact our communities and that's not the way it works that is complete you want you you want to know why it doesn't work because it's not the way it's supposed to be this church should be full of people who are who are being touched by the the healing and the grace and the mercy that's demonstrated in the lives of people who live in different communities and places oh well i want to take the responsibility off myself and I want to put it on the pastor and the church and the board and the this and that and the other that's completely backwards people will come to church because they've seen Jesus out there you know they're going to come here because they want to know more about what they've learned out there from you and from me. They want to see more of the goodness of God that they have seen in you and in me. 
getting quiet. I'm going to tell you, you can get quiet all you want. It doesn't abdicate. You can't abdicate your responsibility. He said, I will make you to be fishers of men, right? He says, I will make you to be fishers of men. Well, you've got to teach us how to fish for men. I give you the very basic thing. Go out and tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Oh. You mean I just got to tell them that I got saved from my life of sin and, and Jesus gave me a new life and he, gave, he healed my, my broken heart and he, he gave me a future? Yeah, that's a great thing to tell them. That's a great thing to let them see. You know, I was sitting here this week thinking about how, how much weight we put on a Sunday. How much weight we put on Sundays. I want to tell you something. This is a, this is a, uh, what did, what did I call, I called that a, uh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit tune up for the other six days of the week. Because most of the people who are going to come to know Jesus are going to come to know Jesus as a result of what happens during the other six days of the week as opposed to what happens here today. Oh, that doesn't mean they won't come in because when people get saved, they're going to bring others in. But you know something, this, the, 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 the fish are out there today. How many would, would agree with that? The fish are out there today. And I have never seen fish that were, were, were I did see someone talk about, a, what was it? It was a, a, a fish or something, an alligator that could walk on its legs. Or, you know, an alligator could, so fish that could walk. And they said the fish would, had adapted and learned to walk out of the water because there, there were certain things that they could eat at the, at the edge of the water's edge, at the water's edge. So, in, and they, sh- they showed these fish that were actually like, you know, they were using their things and they were going up and, and they would go up because they could catch things, you know. And so the, you say, why are we talking about fish that can walk? You know, but they can only do that for a short time. And, you know, we can't catch fish sitting in our living room alone. We can't catch fish sitting in our insular churches without being the arms and hands and feet. You know, let's stop all the garbage talk. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty of this. You are called to go forth into your neighborhood, into your community, and to share Jesus with everyone you can. Right? Don't be coming here waiting for your church to grow Grow the, grow the community into Christ. We equip people. That's the calling. We're providing the equipping here. We do it on Wednesdays. We do it here Sundays. We do it throughout the week for people to equip and to go out. Now, you know what? How many know you, if you have a fishing rod, you can have the... I have a great... I'm a, I'm a, I was given a fly rod. I was bought a waders, waders and uh, I was bought um, a fishing vest. I was given lures. Uh, by a, a master fisherman. And, 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 you know, the only thing that I mastered in my time with him, and I learned a lot from him, but I would never be a master fisherman because I didn't do it, was the fact that he brought Dunkin' Donuts, and I mastered eating half of them. 
But you know something? I still to this day have a fly rod. I have uh, the, the line. I have waders. I have uh, a fishing vest. This was a board member that really loved me, and I loved him. He became a deep friend over the years, and he, he took me fly fishing. He wanted me to go so bad, he, gave, he bought me all this stuff and said, I want you to be my fly fishing partner. Well, that didn't work out so well, but, uh, but I'm going to say this. I got all that stuff, and since the last time I was with him, I've not caught a fish, even if I have all the equipment, because I don't use it. Some of you have been in church a long time. A long time. So are you using the equipment that you have been given, or are you just waiting for something more? How many have been saved 40 years here? Anybody? You say, well, I don't know if I want to claim to be saved today. <laughs> I know who you are. God knows. How many have been saved 30 years? Come on, don't be shy. Someone come in and say, well, they're so timid in there. How many have been saved 20 years? Then anybody who's been saved that long should be equipping other people to win people to Jesus. And I trust you are. What are you waiting for? If you've been saved for 20 years, you know, I'm going to tell you, and I know, I know Pastor Ruddy was a master teacher. He equipped people. And, and, and if he did, and, and you've had that invested into your life, then what is your excuse? Get out there. Do it. Well, you're really quiet today. I'll tell you what. You know, they're, they're not, a, I gotta say, and I'm not, I don't, I don't know if some, there's not a, this, uh, uh, I don't, I don't wanna say a bad word. There's not a daggone thing that I can do to grow your church other than to do what God's called me to do. That's all I can do. Your, your part in this is you get out the door, out the door. Take Jesus to the people who don't know him. You know, we do church really well among ourselves, but we've got to be the church out there. <laughs> you say, you could quit now. I could. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But sin's imputed, you know. Um, Romans 6, it says, For sin indeed it was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. The word for transgression is to be deliberately positioned in a vulnerable place or to be led astray. 1 John 4, 6, We are of God. He who knows a God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This, by this we know. Disobedience. You know, you can be, there, there are people, if you live apart from God, you get a title. If you live willfully apart from God, you get a title. You know, people are so concerned in this life about what their title is, you know, to, you know what they're called. But here's what the Bible says. In verse 6 of Colossians 3, it says, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. And he says, In which you once walked when you lived 
in, when you lived in them. You know, obedience is an important thing. You know, I don't obey uh, because uh, I'm forced to obey. I obey because it's the joy of my relationship is to, is to please my Father. I'm not driven like a taskmaster to go and to, uh, to, to obey Him, but I, it's a joy to, to serve the Lord, right? How many find it a joy to, to live in faith and obedience to the Lord? Jesus placed priority on obedience for us. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then in, verse, in chapter John 14, 23, Jesus replied and said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. In fact, uh, the song, uh, Samuel said, uh, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering of fat lambs. You know, the Bible refers to sin as a transgression. There are many things that it's referred to. 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So secondly here, what is Jesus' relationship with sinners? I got to tell you, I have found it to be one of the great joys in my lifetime as a believer is to talk to people who don't know how. Now, understand this. I'm not suggesting anyone here does uh, this, but I'm just saying sometimes we get so trapped in the game of how to, how to play church. We know what to say. We know how to say it. We know what people are expecting us to say. And then you get these raw people who don't know or don't care, and they just say whatever's in their heart. Because, you know, you know if they accept Christ, it's not going to be because they're putting on a pretense for you because they've already demonstrated they don't care. And I've known people that have, have uh, you know, knew uh, in their faith who were, God was still working to transform the filth that was coming out of their mouth. You understand what I'm saying? The swearing. And you know what? People are, oh my, where did you hear that? You know, that guy can't possibly be a Christian. I got to tell you something. It's not only what comes out of our mouths, but sometimes if people saw the way we treated other people, They'd probably say, you can't possibly be a Christian. You know, it's not just what, whether you cuss or you smoke or you drink or, you, or, you, or you, whatever you do that's a bad. None of those things you should do. Let's just say that. You shouldn't do those because God wants you to have something better than that. He has something better for you. But as Christians, you know, it, it's not what comes out right it, 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 it's it, it's what it's not it's not what we necessarily what you shove down your throat or but it's what's coming forth out of the content of our heart that reveals much about us i have a friend uh, uh, uh constanza rob constanza who who led the uh, teen choir teen choir choir uh teen challenge choir for a number of years and uh he and i are very good friends we've been friends for probably 30 years. And uh, he, he would laugh and tell these stories about things that would happen when these guys would get up front and he says, and you, they were to tell their story and they always kind of gave them a framework from within to operate. 
And he said that, you know, on occasion there were some that just couldn't stay in the bounds. So enthused about what Jesus had done for them. And yet, they just, they just broached things that probably weren't church talk. You know what I'm saying? He says, one day, this guy, he gets up there, and they're singing a song in church. Now, I want you to hear, just an example. I know you're going to cringe, and that's okay, because I want you to have the full effect. They're singing a song, and this guy's so wrapped up in it, and then it was his turn and, uh, immediately after the song to share his testimony. And he comes up, and he's, he gets up there, and he says, now, was there any he says, wasn't that one hell of a song? Rob said, we had to have a talk after the service. And I said, I, he said, I, I appreciate your zeal. But you can't, you can't be doing that. And uh, so, but you know something? There's something endearing about that to me. You say you're endeared by the fact that God cussed in church. I'm endeared by the fact that he didn't know how to play the game yet. He just didn't know. He wasn't, you know, he didn't know that he was going to, he could have been excommunicated on that day. And it is so refreshing to get out there among people who don't know how to, and I'm not saying everybody's playing a game. I'm just saying that sometimes we reduce our Christian experience to what you do, what you don't do, how much you do this and how little you do that. And it's so much bigger than that. It's a relationship with the, the living Christ who saves us, who has forgiven us of our debt of sin. That sometimes we gotta, everything has to be dressed up in, you know, some kind of spiritualese, or it's always gotta sound, oh, yes, and, uh, you know, and sometimes if we're really care, if we really are discerning, we're gonna encounter people who are just needing to see a real person who's been changed by the grace of God. They don't care if you don't have a Ph.D. in theology. They don't care if you hold an office in the church. They don't care if you're not perfect. As long as you're walking and growing in grace and your life is being transformed. You know, we look at what Jesus said about the relationship with sinners and he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. You know, I've heard people say that. I have heard it said. I've heard it said directly. I've heard people, you know, we, there's a certain kind of people we, we got to reach to build our church. <laughs> I got to tell you, if there's going to uh, be, uh, if there needs to be any, any, any of that kind of stuff, then maybe the pruning should start with, with the one who's talking like that. I lived in Greene County, and I don't know, anybody ever been to Greene County? It's one of the poorer counties in Pennsylvania. There's, a, there, there's just a, a, a lot of, you know, the, they did get the fracking and a lot of things that helped some, but there are a lot of people that are really uh, abjectly poor. 
And what, we, had, we had a meeting one time, and then after the meeting, and that's when you get into trouble, when you have too many meetings. You know, the meeting after the meeting. And they're standing off to the side, and I heard one guy say, you know, they're not the kind of people you grow a church with. I got to tell you, you're not the kind of people that God would grow a church with, nor am I, if it were not for the grace of God. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. I don't care if your mom was a saint for a thousand years. That doesn't have one thing to do with you if you're not walking with Jesus. You're not riding anybody's coattails. But it just made me cringe when I heard that because... I, I, and I did know the context. You say, well, maybe you missed that. No, I knew what they were talking about. I knew who they were talking about. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And we've all been sick, and Jesus brings us to health. Jesus was a seeker of those who are lost and a savior of households. Jesus said... Uh, today, salvation has come to this house. Did you hear that? To this house, out in the neighborhood, out in the neighborhood, under the roof of homes. He says, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save which was lost. I'm going to be done in like a couple of moments here. Uh, divine appointment. He goes by divine appointment. You know, Jesus in John 4, 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. Hear that? He had to go through Samaria, the place that Jews would have done everything they could to avoid. And he came into a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Hey, you've got divine appointments to keep. You say, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, who was somebody? It, it's just strange how it works. There was somebody, it's not strange. There was something that I was really praying about and really focused on. And, uh, you know, had somebody tell me, you know what? When you prayed that prayer, I swore someone had told you what was going on. That had nothing to do with me. It's that Spirit of God, that Holy Spirit. And we prayed for Him, and God knows what you need. And when He delivers the mail, He didn't bring it to the wrong house. I want to say to you today, We've got divine appointments to keep. There's people that you see every day, you maybe have seen them for years, that you've not engaged yet, and God says, you need to engage that person. You need to engage that person. You know, it's amazing how many Christians live beside other people and they've never once spoken to their neighbor. Not once. And, you know, I don't know if that's the case. I would trust here, everybody, we're the obnoxious neighbors that people can't get rid of. But, you know, I, I, you know, what a tragedy. Oh, we want to win the whole world for Jesus. Well, let's start right here. Right next door. Bake them a pie. A nice, juicy, 
squirrel pot pie, <laughs> minced meat, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the thought that counts. I got to tell you, it's strange. Not, none of our neighbors would have spoken. I don't believe they would have. None of them would have talked to us. None. And I understand that. But, you know, we had to make the engagements. We had to plug into these people. You know, you know, not too long ago, and she ain't here in church, but we're still praying about that, and God forbid she ever calls for another one of those, what are they called? Yeah, Mary Kay, you know that blemish on the face of humanity. Uh, Mary Kay Pride. She calls Robin and says one day, you know, we see him all the time. Hey, you know, can you, can you buy something from me? And Robin's like, no, no, no. And then, you know, Robin felt that after time went on, that not only God wanted her to buy something, he wanted her to have a party for her. You know, hosting that stuff in our home. I got to tell you, we had to call a priest in to exercise things afterward, but... Uh, you know, had all these people in, and I don't know that anybody mentioned God or Jesus when they were there, but some church folks had come along, and you know, but they knew it was an opportunity, and you know, we still have communications, and you know, if she ever calls for another one of those parties, I'm going to ask for the phone, because I'm going to say, when you come to church, we'll have you another party. No, I am going to do that. You don't think I will, do you? <laughs> Why? Christy, I know who she is. Uh, I'm going to ask Tammy to come. Uh, Jesus went where he was welcome. He went where he was welcome. Remember, Jesus went in the home of Simon the Pharisee, and this woman sat at his feet, washing his feet with her tear and drying them with her hair. And, you know, Simon is thinking to himself, if Jesus were truly a prophet, he would know what kind of man this is, or what kind of woman this is. Jesus knew his thoughts, and he said, Simon, when I came into this house, you didn't even offer me the least of conveniences. You know, if you didn't have a servant to wash my feet, you could have still offered me water to wash my own feet. You offered me nothing. No greeting, no extension, he said, and this woman, she's not stopped weeping over my feet and drying them with her hair. He said, you know what? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And for those who are forgiven much, they love much. You want to talk about people who know how to love other people, right? It's people who know how much they've been forgiven. Oh, we don't truly understand how deep it was, but we have a pretty good idea. And when you walk around life and you realize that God was so merciful to us, I want to say, this is a little snippet. I don't want to get off the flow of the Spirit. But there's some men holding buckets back there. If you haven't visited with that bucket, please. It's never too late. But I want to say to you today, it's when we forget how much we've been forgiven that we lose sight of our mission. We lose sight of the calling, you know, we want the safe choice. Lord, just, uh, just give me the safe thing. I don't want to be involved in all the other stuff. Jesus went where he was welcome. He preached with signs following. You know, I believe in the, that God is still a signs following God. 
Come on, church. I hear people, oh, that was for time past. You know what? I'm not afraid that if God chooses to do something that I thought he had stopped doing, that somehow it'll blow things up for me. How many of you say, God, if I think you stopped doing something and you do it anyhow, Lord, change my heart. He preached. It says, when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. And he said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. He preached the word and he set people free. No greater joy than to see people. And you know, church, you want to talk about revival? You know, when we start seeing people set free, that's going to kindle a fire unimaginable. When broken lives are made whole and, you know, broken hearts are made whole and people who felt there was no future for them because of their past understands that their past has been brought beneath the blood of Christ and there is a future for them. You see, Jesus, he steps up to open the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. There's a key right there. We need the Spirit of the Lord upon us, right? If Jesus spoke from the anointing of the Spirit, boy, so should we be doing the same, filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. To preach the gospel to the poor, to preach to the poor. The poor people need it, you know? The people that don't have gas to get to our churches, right? We're going to pray through the streets on April, not April, August the 27th. Uh, 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 Pastor Josh is going to coordinate that, and we're going to go through the streets of those places that you've committed to pray for in Littlestown, and we're going we're gonna to meet at a certain place that morning, and then we're going to go and begin to pray over those streets. So it's not just going to be a sign in the foyer. It's got to be something that we've committed to doing because we believe that God's going to change things because people pray for other people. It says, He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of brokenhearted people today. And they're closer than you might think. He, he, he gave me, He proclaimed liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That year of Jubilee where debts were remitted and lands restored to their original owners. And uh, he, he preached to impart kingdom truth. Would you stand with me? It says, from that time Jesus began to preach. When he took on the preaching ministry, he, re, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And God, Jesus came to offer freedom from sin's control. Freedom from sin's control. Grace is never about extending the leash, but it's about, ex it, it, but it's about snapping the restraints of sin and, or, and the authority of God's grace and through Christ's blood that one may experience true freedom. 
there's a redeeming progression. Would you close your eyes? Think about when you gave your heart to Jesus and you say, I, I can remember it as clear as a bell. I can remember that moment when I surrendered my heart to the Lord. I brought my load of guilt and sin and I laid it down at the foot of the cross and I said, Lord God Almighty, Lord, I can't carry the weight of my sin. I can't outrun my past. I need, uh, I need someone to save me from this. And I understand you're a saving God. I know that the scripture, someone told me that Jesus is a savior of men and women and children. And you give your heart to the Lord. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, some of you were once like that, but you are cleansed. You are made holy. You are made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord and by the spirit of our God. There are others that need to have that opportunity. They need to be introduced to that, that there is a way to escape the sin and the guilt and the shame and the brokenness. There's deliverance from afflictions of mind and body and soul and spirit. We were washed, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much, made holy and sanctified. Sanctified means taken out of the sinful and separated unto God. Takes us out of the sinful, uh, the control of sin, and he sanctifies us, placing us in justification and holiness in his person and work. We are made righteous. Righteousness means we're right in relationship with, to, with God and we're right in relationship with others. The offense has been destroyed and the fellowship has been enjoined because now, because of the imputed, the given. You know, sin was, the sin nature was imputed. It was credited to our account as part of the human race. But when Jesus died and gave his life, his righteousness is imputed to all who will receive him. It's put on your credit. The tab is picked up. The bill is paid. There is no condemnation upon you any longer. The world needs to know this stuff. In Christ and through the cleansing Holy Spirit, we are established. You know, this morning... You know, the Lord is in this house and he's in your house if you want him to be. The Lord's everywhere, but he dwells where he's invited. Think about that. The Lord's everywhere, but he dwells where he's invited. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man will hear my voice and will open the door and come in and sup with me, I I will sup with him and he with me. And he's speaking to the church there. But you know, Jesus wants to get into your neighbor's house. Jesus wants to get into your community. You know, there, it's suggested that there were so many, uh, uh, so many publicans and sinners who gathered around Jesus that there wasn't any room to meet in one particular house. So they actually met in halls. You see, what happened in the homes began to spill out into larger venues because the homes were no longer able to contain 
no longer able to contain what God was doing in the homes and in the places uh, around the neighborhood. And so they and Jesus met with people in places of public venue. How many of you this morning as we pray will say, God, give me a new passion for the call of God. Give me on my life, not just the call of God general, but the call of God in my life. Lord, I thank you so very much for everyone in this church who's been saved and brought out of darkness in order to to show forth the praises of the God who brought us out of those dark places and let others see that there is hope and there is life. Lord, let us stir up in our communities the things that you want to spill over into the, into the larger venues. Might start out with a lot of home gatherings, but before you know it, if we're really uh, doing it missionally and we're really looking to reach people, and I'm talking about reaching people, you know, sometimes reaching people may mean that we, we only have a prayer. Uh, we read a scripture, have a prayer, and then spend time with people that wouldn't normally come. And then it'll graduate, and things will advance, and things will move as the Lord leads. But I believe if we do that, we're going to see people having to find the larger venue. And then at that point, we say, come to my church now. You got a sampling of what Jesus is and what being connected to someone really can be. Why don't you come and taste the bigger picture? Lord, we thank you. We pray for those in the east and the west and the north and the south. We pray that there will be people who will give their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of the faithful witnesses that are going forth out of this place. Lord, I pray that there will be people who will say, My home is yours, Lord. Make it a house of mercy, a house of compassion, a house of healing. Lord God, let people come into my home. Bring people to my door whom you have purposed to walk into a place of healing and mercy and grace. And let me be the, help me, Lord, to be the best ambassador that I can be when that door opens and they come into my home, that I would be gracious and kind. Lord, I don't want to be religious. I want to walk in love. And I want the, the Spirit of God to be all over the encounters that I have, Lord God. Lord, we praise your holy name, Lord God. Hallelujah. How many want to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day? Every day. You know, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You were filled once. Uh, you were baptized perhaps. But I want, to, I want to be filled and flowing over every day. How many just slip your hands before the Lord and say, God, I want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that I won't possibly be able to miss those assignments that you set in front of me. I want to be so full of the Holy Ghost that, Lord, my interactions with, with people will not miss the mark or miss the point, but, Lord, will speak truth and life and grace and mercy into the lives of those that we meet along the way. Hallelujah. We're praying for increase here. Bless those who have dialed in with us today. And Lord, I pray in the mighty and blessed and holy name of Jesus that you will send them forth with an incredible blessing. Not just a small measure, but a large portion. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.